When I grow up, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Veterinarian? It's awesome. And I'm going to be what you said we need more of. So you want to be a plumberarian? Do you think I can? I think that if you work really hard, you can be anything. Promise? You bet I do. When you promise your kids the world, we're here to help you keep it. Ohio's 529 plan is the best tax-free savings plan for future college or career training nationwide. Start now at collegeadvantage.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show and happy Thursday. Ahead, we are taking an in-depth look at how the left's obsession with race is now affecting the medical field and our doctors overall. Hmm, what could possibly go wrong? We're going to speak with Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She was told to attend implicit bias training where people are taught all about the ways in which they are secretly racist, but perhaps don't realize it. By the way, the studies have shown that these trainings actually can bring out latent racism that never would have manifested if they had just left these people alone. She was told if she didn't do it, she could not renew her medical license. Decades of experience didn't matter. Neither did her race. She's black. She had to go. She, too, might be biased, as it turns out, against herself. Uh, She's here to talk about her plan to fight back against this craziness. And we will also be joined shortly by our pal, Andrew Clavin. There is breaking news in the case of those two Tennessee lawmakers who have been completely lionized by the left wing. Wait until you hear what one of them was doing in the post-George Floyd summer of 2020. First, however, the Biden administration unveiling a new plan to save the planet by outlawing your gas-powered car. Even some progressives are now freaking out. And joining us now to discuss it, my friend Eric Bowling, host of Eric Bowling, The Balance. Eric Bowling's The Balance. On Newsmax, Eric, great to have you here. So let's talk about this plan. So it's basically he's doing through the EPA what he could not otherwise do. Uh, and he is saying that uh, by 2020, 2032, in basically 10 years, we're going to have new standards imposed on us by the EPA that will essentially require at least half cars, maybe up to two thirds of vehicles to be electric. And we're going to have to get rid of our gas powered cars because of the emission standards that they're going to hand down on these makers. The White House defensive plan saying it will save Americans uh, over the life of the ownership of their new electric vehicles over twelve thousand dollars. So you're welcome. What do you make of it? All lies. Great to be back with you, Megan. All all lies. I mean, let's start with how much it's going to save. First of all, an electric vehicle costs a lot more than a comparable gas combustion vehicle. Second of all, these batteries in these cars, they're not perfect. They don't last the the life of the car the way a car of combustion engine will last the life of the car. You're likely to have the seats fall apart before the engine falls apart. Sure, there's there's repairs that need to be made, but, but when... When a battery life, you know, hits somewhere 50,000, 60,000 miles, you have to replace those batteries. That can cost twenty, thirty thousand dollars They don't factor that in, I'm sure, in their equation. Um, 
it, it's insane how, it, it, and let's put, be very clear about something. If you were, if they were to, to achieve all those goals, remember Barack Obama had his goals by, by whatever it was, 2020, 2025, we're going to have a fully you know, electrified fleet of American vehicles. That never happened, didn't come close. It'll get there, but if you were to electrify 50, 60, 70% of the, of the U.S. auto fleet, the, the electric grid would, would would not be existent. We would never be able to do that. We could never f- fuel up or power up that many vehicles. It's just not ready for it. Um, we can barely keep the lights on in the summer when it's hot in our major cities. Now add four, hmm, 300 million vehicles, 350 million vehicles. They're out of their mind. Let it happen. Let it progress. Let Bucky's down here in Florida put electric chargers and you know substantial electric chargers as they build but don't mandate them to have 80 percent of their fueling positions to be electric instead of gas and one more boy the the fuel industry energy industry the carbon hydrocarbon industry provides nine million very high paying jobs to american uh, to the american economy you're not going to get that with with the electric you know you replace nine million high paying jobs they don't think any of this through, just like Jean-Pierre, Corinne Jean-Pierre yesterday said, oh, President Biden has answered far more questions than President Trump or President Obama. That's another blatant, bold-faced lie. They just lied. Shouted you know, questions, shouted questions. She wants him to get credit for deigning to respond when someone yells something at him. <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. That, that's, their, that's their interpretation. You know, I mean, fact checkers show that He's far behind Trump, Obama, even Bill Clinton and George Bush, far behind. But somehow they're going to twist it. You know, there's liberal words. You know, we're going to say them. We're going to keep saying them. You're going to believe them or or you're a bigot or you're something or racist or whatever. But, so, you know, but the smart Americans know better. On the subject of the electric vehicles. So they're forcing them on us. You know, if the market wanted more of these, the market would get more of these. It's something like five percent, seven percent of all cars are EVs. 2% of uh, heavy trucks are EVs. The market is not wanting these because they can't get you coast to coast. You got to stop. You got to plug in somewhere. There aren't anywhere nearly enough charging uh, stations for this plan that the Biden administration is unveiling. Not to mention where we're going to get the batteries from. Right now, we're dependent on China. So this is a big boon to them and not to us. So the, the plan seems very sketchy. And it's. Can I throw you things- another one? Yeah. There's another thing that no one's really talking about right now. If we were to electrify the vehicles, the whole fleet, we would be massively dependent on chips, on computer chips, on silicon chips. And those 90 percent of those are produced in Taiwan right now. We don't have there's almost a shortage of them right now. If you're going to switch over the whole fleet into a a vehicle that requires far more chips than the gas engine, we're going to be more dependent on Taiwan. If China takes Taiwan, let me tell you something, China is playing the long game. They're playing 4D chess and we're, we're barely getting their checkers on the board. Mm, that's a good point. And, you know, it, it's, well, it's really scary because they're, they're, this is a great thing for China. It's not such a great thing for us. And while we're working so very hard to lower our emissions, um, what is China doing? Speaking of China, we're number two in the world when it comes to emissions. Guess who's number one? <laughs> Beijing is capital of that place. <laughs> so they're not doing anything, right? They're, we're going to we're supposed to give up our gas powered cars. Can, well, they're going to do whatever they want and cash the pollution, checks. Pollution is fungible. It it, it 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 goes around the world, so it doesn't matter where you p- produce it. It matters, you know, how much you you produce. We will produce more 
more pollution by electrifying the, the whole fleet of American vehicles, of the global vehicles, immediately, because there's the only way our electric grid will be able to supply even a portion of what they hope to, to be able to get us to is to burn a ton, a gazillion tons of more coal. Coal yes. is what fires about 40% of U.S. power plants right now. So you're going to burn a shit ton of coal, sorry, you to, can. <laughs> to produce the electricity to power up even maybe 10 or 15% more electric vehicles. They want 80% more electric vehicles. You're going to have to power up every single coal-fired power plant that Barack Obama shut down. You have to repower them up with coal, and coal is the dirtiest of the burning carbon fuel. It's unbelievable. It's like they haven't thought it through. They just want to look mm. like they had a win. They're going to deprive the American consumer of what they want. They're going to help China and they're going to produce more uh, fossil fuel burning. But thanks to the coal. So this is really just sort of some sort of weird head fake where they just want to make themselves look good while they ride in their private jets. You know, you're going to lose your gas powered car and I'm going to lose mine. But John Kerry's still going to be go jetting from place to place on his private jet. And so is Bill Gates and all the others meeting in Davos without one word of apology. Then they want to tell us, oh, you know, somehow I, I managed to make it even, you know, the, uh, these sort of credits. Bullshit. You you burned more fossil fuels in your one trip to get over to Davos than I'll burn in my lifetime. So spare me. Um, so so you, you, have, you and I have to get on electric vehicles. They're flying in power in, in high power jets with jet fuel, which is not electric. No one would get into an airplane if it was powered by a battery, electric battery, solar. Yeah, right, okay. But they also want to take your guns, but they're powered up with guns and, and all their security details. It's hypocrisy. They want control and they're the total, complete hypocrites around what is its rules for thee and rules for me. So here's the great piece of this. A lot of these uh, emissions rules, when it comes to cars in particular, originate in California. That's the little experimental den for these kinds of things. And a lot of states have trigger laws where we just follow what California is doing. That's separate from what the EPA is doing to us now on the federal level. But California might be a good place to start. Like, let's look at what's happening out there with their EVs and how, how it's going. Well, very interesting moment with this woman who co-hosts uh, the Young Turks. Um, her name is Anna Kasparian, and I, I think she's in California, but she's complaining about people like Gavin Newsom, and she is talking about California. So uh, at least she's, she either lives there or has knowledge about it. She had a light bulb moment, Eric, when this push for green energy came into her life in a very personal way, when she was talking about how her condo board decided to go into significant debt to pay for charging stations for all the electric vehicles. Well, if the condo board does that, guess who is paying for that? The people who live inside of that building. And she's not happy about it. And she had this incredible exchange with her co-host that's gone very viral for obvious reasons. Listen to some of it. The way that it happens is I know that in, in California, at least with the phasing out of gas powered cars, and they'll probably do the same thing with uh, gas stoves is they just ban the sale of any new gas-powered cars or any new gas stoves. And I that's, get it, but look, that's a bump. That's the normal bumps in the road. Don't minimize the financial burdens associated with these things, okay? Because no, like I am literally freaking the fuck out about the charging station thing. We're gonna Did take they? out a massive fucking loan to pay for it. We're not getting any help from the fucking government on that. I, did you Did you guys ask? Is there any tax credits? <laughs> but seriously, I don't you give guys? a 
fuck about tax credits. I want to do something in response to climate change. That is not my my issue here. My issue is how like we're forced to make all these changes that are a, a financial burden, a giant inconvenience with like little to no help. And I don't want the tax credits. I will give me the money. Give you give me the money. Okay, don't tell me this bullshit about how I have to buy like some new fucking thing because the government's forcing me to do it. And then like after I file my taxes, there's a certain portion of that purchase that might be tax deductible. Like fuck off. I I kept, I'm so sick of it. It's just like mm, like endless pressure, 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 pressure. The middle class is the most fucked group of people in this country. But at some point, we gotta go to electric cars. We don't have a choice. Like the plants burning. She's <laughs> got, got a bit of a potty mouth. But. You know, it, it's funny watching two socialists or one, so two socialists. One of them is starting to see the light that socialism sucks and, and the climate hoax and the climate terrorists are doing things that have nothing to do with economics. And it's funny to watch. And by the way, the, the two of them together maybe break 100 on an IQ. I'm not sure, maybe come close. Um, but Casper, again, Oh, once it affects her, oh, all the things that they're peddling for all of America. That was such a great idea. The AOC has been jamming down people's throats. Bernie Sanders has been pushing every which way. Joe Biden has been hat tipping a trillion and a half dollars to the climate terrorists to give to to give them to, to for what? For votes? OK, fine. But but finally, when it when it affects their own wallet. Suddenly, they start coming around. It's like young people in college. They're liberal as the day is long. They're practically communist themselves until they start making some money and they got to pay tax. And they go, wait a minute, I'm not sure I like paying 50% of what I make to the government anymore. Well, jackasses, this is what you've been peddling for the last 15 years of your life. I'm sorry, wake up. To see her realize, right, the consequences of the policies that she has in the past supported like this is how it's going to go. You know, you're going to have to pay seventy thousand dollars for an electric vehicle instead of thirty or forty for a gas part. That's I mean, and you then hear, you're going to have to pay your Megan. condo board for the for the charging stations and all there, the other things we discussed. Hook. Did you hear the other the other communists, the other Sank Oiger? You hear what he said? <laughs> oh, did you ask the government for some help? That's what they want. That's what this is right. all about. Liberals in government want you ask begging them, please, sir, may I have another? Please, sir, can I? Can you help me charge my own freaking vehicle? This is exactly what they want. They government wants you dependent on them. And so foot soldiers, useful idiots like those two are using Biden and AOC and, and Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama's words and ideas until it affects them, until they realize it. And then when they do get affected, let's run back to government and say, Please help us pay for those charging stations. Yeah, right. Right. We're paying for it again. And that's us. That's still us paying. Um, Let's switch gears and talk about what's happening to Bud Light, because as an economics guy, you can explain to me what this means that they've lost. I mean, I've seen different reports between six and eight billion dollars in market capitalization from the time this partnership with trans person Dylan Mulvaney was announced there. It seems like a bloodbath. Uh, for for Bud Light. Anecdotally, there have been reports about the number of beer distributors complaining that people are turning off the sales, bars and pubs and you know groups that get together for sporting events and so on, saying no more, we're not buying it. You know, America's turning off uh, the spigot when it comes to Bud Light. But what does that mean? That its stock price, I guess, has gone down between six and eight billion dollars in 
like a week, two weeks? Since March 31st, I think is when, when, when either when the, the campaign, the branding campaign went live, March 30th or 31st, market cap means how many shares outstanding times the, the price of the share and shares have, have slid in a market, by the way, that's gone up. The S&P is up in that same period of time. Then the NASDAQ is up. Um, the Dow Jones is up in that period of time since March 31st. A.B. Anheuser-Busch has dropped eight, uh, seven billion, to be real, seven billion dollars in market cap. And that's a big that's a big drop. And it has to be attributed. To, if you look at a chart, the chart, I watch the chart every day. It's been it was up and down, up and down, but it's fairly steady on that day. When when the backlash started to happen, people started selling shares in that stock. Un, no question about it. They were concerned about the 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 imp, imminent backlash, which actually has, has arrived. And then when that um, vice president, I guess the person who had this idea to put Dylan Mulvaney as their brand ambassador on, yes. when, she, when, they, when the video emerged of her, now it happened, the video came of her was prior to the Dylan, but when she was talking about Bud Light being a fratty brand, well, hell yeah, it's a fratty brand. Guess, what, guess who your main customers are? frat houses and people who wish they were still in the frat house and mm -hmm. you alienate your base to have some sort of diversity i don't know cred it's insane so yeah eight seven or eight billion dollars of market cap in a market that has been going up and by the way it's not it's not uh, all beers um miller light is owned by molson coors their market cap has gone up by about a billion dollars. Oh, so it's, it's so interesting because like, this is not something you can get back, right? So it's like, I really want to buy my Bud Light, but I'm just going to punish them for a month. And then I'm going to buy two times the Bud Light in June just to make it up right now. You, the months are gone. The opportunity to drink the Bud Light has passed. So even if there's some way of these guys repairing the relationship with their customer base, those sales, because this, this is separate from the market cap, the sales are gone. The, the, the bottom line is being hurt day after day. Well, and that, it's that's not going to get any term, better. Right. You're right. You're right. Sales eventually you will see in the next quarter, next maybe, you know, whatever, 45 days, you'll see the slide in sales and that'll put further pressure on the stock price. Absolutely for sure. So the smart investors, the big money, the, the hedge funds who know what's going on when they see these things happen, they get out first. That drives the price down. When the, the earnings come out, then the retail investors start saying, wait a minute, that doesn't look going forward. It'll put more pressure on the stock. I wouldn't buy, I would not buy Anheuser-Busch stock right now, no matter what they say. Even if they say, we're just kidding about Dylan Mulvaney, we're still fratty. I would still wouldn't buy that stock. <laughs> we're still just as fratty as ever. They yeah. went from fratty to caddy. Um, so what do you think, I mean, do you think that this is a potential watershed moment in this whole go woke, go broke discussion so you know could, could other thing. companies be watching this yeah i think they all are megan but i don't think they uh, I, i'm not sure they care because we saw the same thing happen with major league baseball a couple of years ago with the all-star game they continue you know, disney fighting um ron DeSantis down here in florida and yet these things still happen they're still and i've said this i pinpointed this that it's the corporate boardroom that will tell us when when the pendulum has swung too far in the direction in favor of diversity I thought it was a year ago. I was wrong. It looks like it's continuing now. Maybe this is it. So when celebrities like Kid Rock and, and others start to you know go public with their distaste for 
for a brand or what they're, or, or the, I'm sorry, the brand messaging, then it starts to move the needle. It's not until the boardroom though. It's the boardroom for some reason on these corporate boards, they are so concerned about the diversity card, the, you know, there's, there's this thing called the CEI, the corporate um, equality index, corporate equity index. And, and it's something that these liberals push around Wall Street saying, hey, what's your index? What, where are you? And if it's too low, well, you're not diverse enough. You're not doing your part. And, and for some reason, boardrooms who should only be concerned about share prices, stockholder value, shareholder value, share prices. The only concern a board should have is somehow now getting into, let's find out what the environment's uh, ESG stuff, which is environment, social and governance, which is another index. They worry about these things and they're, they're, they're foolish to do it. I, I think we're going to look back 20 years from now and look back and go, what a stupid time that was. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope you're right. I hope we're not further immersed. Let's switch gears and talk politics right now, because Joe Biden is over in Ireland and um, already like several gaffes. I can't even keep sure up with them. I, I can't even. Uh, I don't know. He made some gaffe about. I have no idea. I can't like some football team. And he confused it with. Yeah, he, uh, called, he thought he thought he's calling a soccer, a football team. Uh, he called them black and tan, and that's a that's a violent military group. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so there was that. Then he made this false claim, which he's made repeatedly. It's not true. It's not even potentially true. He's been given the three Pinocchios, even by the left-leaning press on it. But once again, here he is talking about his good buddy, uh, Xi Jinping in China. Sat too. As I was with Xi Jinping, I've spent more time with him than any world leader has over the last 10 years. And I was in the Tibetan Plateau with him. I traveled 17,000 miles with him in China over 10 years. Not true. And actually what they're saying where he gets the 17,000 miles, Eric, they're saying he's counting like his airplane trips over to China and she's airplane trips. Over. Like, what is he? He just is disconnected from the truth. <laughs> Remember when he said he was. He walked the bridge in Selma. Then he said he, he got arrested with Nelson Mandela. And then they had the <laughs> fact the, the fact checkers called him out and, and they corrected with him. Well, he was uh, metaphorically walking with the people in right. Selma. And spiritually. Spiritually getting arrested with Nelson Mandela. He's a he's a he's he, he is a uh, he's slipping. He's always been a, a, a pathological liar. Remember, he he had to bow out of a presidential campaign because he got caught plagiarizing his speeches. Yeah. He's a pathological liar. I mean, it's, but, but he's getting even worse. I don't even think the guy knows where he is. So I don't know. Well, here's the thing. So I don't know if this is a lie or if this is just confusion. I'm, I'm thinking this is just confusion, which is not doesn't make me feel any better. But here he is describing where um, the Oval Office is. Um, take a listen to Sat One. As a matter of fact, as you walk into my office in the in the Oval Office in the United States Capitol. No, <laughs> try one more try. Well, there's it's that round really... thing in the top of the Capitol, and it's not really oval. <laughs> man, the, the, that the is man. not where the Oval is, sir. <laughs> the United States Capitol. No, sir, you're you're in the Oval Office in the White House. By the way, you're president. You're president, Joe. And the, the thing no is that, that that they're thinking about running this guy again. Yeah. He says he told the Easter Bunny, or I mean Al Roker, that he, he's going to run, but he doesn't want to announce it. Easter Bunny Here scares just, him. Well, to be honest, another Easter highlight. Bunny scares me a little too. But. Another highlight from his trip where, um, okay, 
he's he's talking to a little boy. The child asks him a question, um, saying something like, what's the secret to success or the top step to success? It doesn't go very well. And I kid you not, he gets runtered. He gets runtered. He gets helped by his son, Hunter, because it was bring your child to work day, I guess, in the Biden White House. And he chose Hunter. Hunter steps in to try to rescue him. Here it is. What's your question? What's the top step to success? success? Or making sure that we don't all have COVID? What, why, what are you talking about? That's the success. Like, what's the, what's the, what's the key to success? So what, the, question, the key to success. The key to success is whenever you disagree with someone, it's okay to question their judgment, whether they're right or wrong. But it's never okay to question their motive. Okay. First of all, he does not live by that practice. But second of all, this he can't even handle the children and the questions being fired at him. I'm sure maybe you couldn't hear, maybe did not. But the point is, he's not going to age in reverse as we go forward on this presidential path. He, as you know, would be 86 if he gets a second term by the end of it. So you know, you see these moments, Eric, and we laugh about them, but are they actual cause for concern? Yeah. So his first question was, what What are the steps to success? He repeats it and he has nowhere to go. So his cognitive decline is so um, in, uh, profound. His first thought, brain cells uh, enacted were COVID. COVID, yes, this is key to success. COVID. So maybe he just went back to I don't know, campaign in 20, well, I don't know, 2019, whatever moment he had that that question may have been asked. And then that rambling answer, he was going, he was going down rabbit holes. People are kind of looking around, but that's why they won't let him go to any press conferences. That's why they don't want to put him out in front of the press. He'll, he'll, it'll embarrass himself even further. I, it, mm-hmm. and by the way, that, that bringing Hunter to Ireland, that's funded by you and me taxpayers. Yeah, I'm sure he's trying to strike another business deal for, you know, of which the big guy will get 10 percent right now. He's like, haven't we learned our lesson about taking Hunter with us on our business trips, whether it's to China, Ireland or anywhere else? Hunter needs to go back to the Joe Biden covid basement. And he's right. That was a top set step to success for Joe Biden's presidential aspirations last time. That's where that's where Hunter needs to be. Hunter needs not to be on a display. Somebody else can translate the children's questions uh, to the sitting U.S. president. Such a pleasure to see you, my friend. Please come back. Anytime, Megan. I love being on the show. I love you. You're doing great. It's awesome to be Uh, here. Likewise. All right. See you soon. When we come back, Andrew Clavin is with me, and I will tell you what now we are learning Bud Light is saying to the Daily Wire about how things went so wrong and how it plans to change things. Uh, And that breaking news I told you about one of those two Tennessee lawmakers, uh, this guy who's been lionized by the left. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll see. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Get away with friends to the laid back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring. Full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. 
Book your trip at Oceocean.com. It wasn't about the three of these leaders. It was about who they were representing. It's about whose voices they were channeling. Understand that. And is that not what a democracy allows? A democracy says you don't silence the people. You do not stifle the people. You don't turn off their microphones when they are speaking about the importance of life and liberty. Do you assault them in the head with a traffic cone? Do you throw liquid in the face of a state house speaker? Is that what you do? Because that's your hero. Madam Vice President, welcome back to The Megyn Kelly Show. That was Vice President Kamala Harris lionizing the so-called Tennessee Three last week, the rabble rousers who decided to disrupt the people's proceedings on the state of the Tennessee, on the floor of the Tennessee State House because they didn't get their way. They were heard. Their arguments were offered. They were rejected. They lost. Take the L. No, instead, they smuggled on a bullhorn onto the state uh, house uh, floor and hijacked the proceedings and riled up the protesters who were up in the balcony and decided to shout down every other lawmaker there who also had constituents who had interests in what to do in the in the wake of a school shooting. Interests like, how do we fortify the schools? Shut up, you who want to make it about yourselves. This is a pattern with these two guys. Uh, And let us talk so we can talk about how to protect children instead of your ridiculous gun reform, which will never get through thanks to the Second Amendment. It's just so absurd what the media does, what the left does. The vice president, the liberal media cannot get enough of these two expelled Tennessee lawmakers. Of course, they claim racism because the two black guys got expelled. The one white woman didn't. That's because of the white white, the one white woman. She's now claiming racism, but she was the one who said, I didn't go as far as they did. I didn't bring a bullhorn. (laughs) She convinced people. She turned around and said, you're all racists. (laughs) There, the, the press is going as far to even analyze the apparent power of their clothing choices. Yes, you go, guys, you go. However, new video just emerging of one of the so-called Tennessee three, and that's Representative Justin Jones. We brought you Justin Pearson yesterday. He's the one who was Barack Obama, you know, the oh, and I would really like to run for student senate in 2016. And now it was like, and my mother, mother God. Mother. OK, sure. Well, now, Justin Jones, this video is from June of 2023. We're going to show it to you. Check out the YouTube page if you're listening. At the height of the post-George Floyd Black Lives Matter protests. In the video, Jones uh, and other protesters are in front of the Tennessee Capitol. They stop cars. These are innocent people. And Jones can be seen tossing a traffic cone into a truck attempting to hit the driver. Why? Why? Why did he do that? You know, it was happening in the summer of 2020. They were stopping people at random, BLM protesters, trying to make you say BLM, Black Lives Matter, or you couldn't finish your meal, or you couldn't continue your drive down the road. We don't know what was happening here. That's just context from the time. Sure, this posed absolutely no danger. Sure. But if that driver had a gun and unleashed it, I mean, many people would have considered it had you been stopped by these guys in the street for no reason at all and assaulted with a traffic cone. This is the left's hero now. Okay. well, it was weird how I didn't read about that and all the profiles being done about this guy. Jones was then indicted on two counts of reckless endangerment for the incident. But you won't be surprised to hear the charges were later dropped as they were against virtually all BLM protesters, half of whom are now getting payouts of their own for the allegedly overzealous response by the cops who tried to keep order. (sighs) 
Joining me now, Andrew Claven, screenwriter, best-selling author, and host of the Andrew Claven Show. Andrew, great to have you back. So that's the hero. Good that's you, the new hero of the left, right? Representative Jones. I'm so I'm, heck of a job. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. You know, I I thought that when you stormed into a uh, Capitol building, uh, it was the worst thing that could possibly happen since the Civil War. I thought it was a reason to put people in prison without trial, to hunt them down, and make sure you had their cell phone numbers. Here, we got them. We actually have them in our clutches and expelled them uh, from their offices as they deserved, and now they're heroes. I don't understand. I mean, next, I I assume that the press is now going to make uh, the QAnon shaman with his uh, his horns as going to be their next hero since he did virtually the same thing. Uh, You know, every story now almost is both the story and the way the press covers the story. And beyond that, also not just the way the press covers the story, the way the corporations uh, react to the story. You know, this is this is one of the most terrible tales actually in a long time. This this begins with a shooting in a Christian school where three nine year old children uh, were killed. And the first thing the White House says is, you know, our hearts must go out to the trans community because the killer was identified as transsexual. Uh, And so right away, right away, the lives of these three children and three adult uh, Christian teachers uh, or staff at this school were kind of eliminated. They were just kind of thrown out of the story to make this about protecting uh, transgender people because the shooter, the killer, was transgender. So immediately the we get to see that the values here are skewed. Then, of course, like every shooting that can't be attributed to the right, if it's not a right-winger doing the shooting, then the issue is guns. If it's a right-winger doing the shooting, then the issue is conservatism and how evil it is and how it leads to violence. But if it's a left-winger, a transgender person, a gay person, a Muslim person, then the issue is always guns. And Unfortunately, we on the right are never smart enough to remind people why we have gun rights in the first place, because, you know, there is logic to the idea that if you banned all guns, if you gave the state a monopoly on violence, the violence among the people would uh, become less. I think that's probably true. But we have guns here because we are a federalist country that believes in the freedom of the people. And those guns are there to ensure that that, that, remain, that freedom remains in place. So we're never making the right argument. So these guys then violate every rule of Robert's Rules of Order uh, to disrupt the making of laws, to push a an anti-gun program, which, as you say, is against our Constitution. And now they're the heroes uh, for some reason beyond me. I, and it's, it, it's all about, it all is about this corporate uh, entity now that is the, both the deep state and the press and the corporations who uh, own the press basically trying to win power over the ordinary American human being, which is what this country was built for him and for her. It was built for us to be the sovereigns over these people. Uh, And yet they don't like it. They've never liked it. And they have been trying for a hundred years to get that power back. And now they have consolidated the academy, uh, the media, the deep state, uh, and the corporations and the business world in a united attack against the individual, the rights of individual Americans, which are, in the end, defended by guns. I'm sure if you or I had a history of um, attacking 
citizens who were minding their own business, um, uh, stomping on police cars, which is another thing he was accused of, assaulting a police officer, another thing he was accused of. I could go down the list. Trespassing, assault, resisting arrest, disrupting meetings, disorderly conduct, criminal trespass, obstructive of a passageway, aggravated litter. I could keep going. I'm sure if that were our history and then we stormed the Capitol to to protest our our pro-life beliefs, let's say. Okay, Uh, they'd be saying exactly the same things about us. Here's just a couple of the headlines from uh, the left right now about this guy and and his colleagues. The Tennessee three were right. Screw decorum. It's time to rush the well. Screw decorum. Salon. Again, Tennessee three were right. Screw decorum. Uh, How the Tennessee three turned the GOP's rebuke into a rallying cry. And on and on we go. They praise their history of breaking the status quo, even with clothing. Andrew, that's from Vogue. Um, Okay, Uh, I seem to recall James Carville after Marjorie Taylor Greene spoke out at the State of the Union. uh, White trash. He was saying she's white trash. I don't help me understand the rules. Well, it's civility, right? It's the old it's the old Bill Clinton thing. I, I was out of the country when this happened. So I got to see it from a distance. You know, they, they call us male chauvinist pigs. They call us racist. They call us sexist. They call us everything. But the minute anybody like Rush Limbaugh, for instance, strikes back, suddenly we are. Where's the civility? What's happened to civility in American life? And so it, it really is, uh, you know, it is a question of the of who is in the right. They believe that they are so in the right that all the rule breaking All the cheating, all the lying is justified because their righteousness is so deep and so great and it runs it runs through their every cell in their bodies that the things that they are fighting for can be defended by any means necessary, as as they in fact a term they in fact use. Anything we do is wrong. If we raise our voices, it's wrong. If we snap back, it's wrong. If we uh, storm the Capitol, it's terribly, terribly wrong. And we on our side actually have a different way of looking at things, which is, yes, it it might be wrong to storm the Capitol. It, even if your uh, values are right, there are things that it is wrong to do. It's wrong to curse at people. It's wrong to take a, a traffic cone and smash it through the window of a car. If a right winger did that, not only would the left gang up on him, but Right-wingers would gang up on them. Conservatives would say, yes, that is not how we proceed here. So we have a very different way. It goes right down to the core of our philosophy, uh, which is basically that people are not all that good. All people are hungry for power. They're envious. They're mean. They're dishonest. All of them. And they have to be controlled by systems that are put in place to preserve their freedoms, but also to preserve the decorum and the way we go forward in our political lives. The left believes its cause is so righteous that all those forms can be set aside. Take a look at what happened to Clarence Thomas this week. Uh, This absolute baloney story about a friend of his who takes him on occasional vacations, which was completely within the realm of the ethics uh, rules of the Supreme Court. Suddenly now, they're calling for Clarence Thomas to resign. It has nothing to do with anything Clarence Thomas. He did exactly 0% wrong. What he did was 0% wrong. And yet they're saying he should resign and he's a Nazi because this guy has uh, memorabilia from both the Nazis and the communists. His friend has this memorabilia. They will fight in any way they can. They they're, they literally have turned themselves into thugs because of their conviction that they are righteous. You have to know, you have to know that you're not righteous. You never were. It's only our systems and our traditions and our decorum that actually preserve anything good that we have. Uh, Once you let 
that slip away. Once you say you can take a traffic cone and slam it into a car or step on top of a cop's car, which is another thing that he did because you're just so righteous that those uh, actions are validated, you lose everything. You will lose your freedom, you will lose your power, and ultimately you will lose any kind of sense of morality that you have. And the left has seriously moved in that direction. What does it say, Andrew, that, uh, that let's take a look at the character of the two guys that, that are now being lionized for hijacking this debate over what to do in the wake of a school shooting, an important matter. And I get that they have their deeply held beliefs about guns. Fine. There's a forum and there's a way of discussing them and there's a way of protesting in the streets. I, that's all very American. Go for it. What they did is something very different. But what does it say about the left that they've chosen to make heroes after, or out of these two guys who, if you look at the history, so not only is this Justin Jones, does he have a long history with the criminal law, um, but he his history makes clear his activism is about promoting himself. So there was a, a report about how, um, this is according to the local blog Scoop Nashville back from June 2021, we, they're the ones who posted this video originally back then. This is Justin Jones. I'll get to Pearson Jones in a minute. So Justin's the one with a criminal history, better known as Brother Jones locally, was one of the publicly visible, often by design, protesters at the state capitol. He received a lot of pushback from his own community after it was discovered he was only making appearances when he knew there would be media coverage and eventually had a falling out with one of the other most visible female members of the group. He, he's also, as I said, accused of throwing a cup of liquid in the face of the ex-House Speaker down in Tennessee and other lawmakers while protesting the bust of a Confederate, Confederate general inside the State House and so on. He was ultimately uh, barred from contacting those l- uh, lawmakers or visiting the legislative building until April of 2020 um, and so on. So that's this guy. He, he sees a camera and he gravitates toward it like a moth to the flame. He sees a chance to make himself a hero for the BLM crowd by assaulting a cop according to the allegations, assaulting, assaulting a civilian just driving his car down the street. And then there's his friend, uh, Pearson, Justin Pearson, whatever. There's like lots of Justins, lots of Jones, Justin Jones and there's Justin Pearson. Um, he's the one who was talking like a Barack Obama when he was running for the student Senate back in 2016. And here's just a little clip of how he looked and sounded at that point. Hey, everybody. I'm Justin J. Pearson, and I'm running for president of BSG. Dissenting voices, voices that may be more liberal or more conservative, in order that we can reach a point of sort of the radical middle where conversation and dialogue happens and growth happens. Nice. Okay, let's do it, Justin Pearson. I'm with you. That sounds like a great idea. You seem like a man with a future ahead of him. Well, here is a bit of that future. Here he was yesterday. They tried to expel the people's choice and the people's vote. And they awaken a sleeping giant. Guilty of white supremacy. Guilty of patriarchy. Guilty of supporting the NRA over people. Guilty of attacking the poor. Guilty of not expanding health care. Guilty of not giving us educational resources. Can we just see video one? I would just, we have to see video one one more time. Let's just play video one more time. Like, yes. Hey, everybody. I'm Justin J. Pearson, and I'm running for president of BSG. Okay. Dissenting voices. voices. It's unbelievable. Andrew, he's a faker. He's an actor. This is all make-believe, and yet they're into it. You, you go, guy. We're with you. Sure. Okay. 
<laughs> well, it helps to be an actor if you're making a movie. I mean, that's the thing, you know, with, with the press supporting you, with all of the press supporting you, it's it's all stagecraft. It's all theater and whatever works, works. You know, I, I have a hard time convincing conservatives of this, but all of this depends on, on ideas. It actually doesn't depend on the actions or characters of the people. The left has an idea. The idea is that all of morality and all of reality grows out of power relationships. That's their idea. And therefore, if you belong to a group that can establish that has less power than other groups, then everything you do is therefore is then correct because you're bringing everything closer to equity, which is the only good. The only evil is power. The only good is equality. So if you're black, you can be good just by being black. If you're black, but you don't agree that power is the only morality, then you're no longer black. Then you no longer belong to that group. They really do work these theories out in large ac uh, academic tomes, which I'm afraid to say I've read, uh, and they are very carefully uh, worked out and the logic is very carefully worked out. We have a very different basis for our moral judgments. Our moral judgments are, are based on uh, what I call the great speculation, which is that you, your inner life is as important to you as mine is to me, and both are equally important to God. And that's how we build our morality. So there's no common ground. We're coming from different places. And we on the right keeps kind of slapping our forehead and saying, how can they believe this guy? They don't have to believe him. It doesn't matter. He's playing a part because all there are are parts and everything else is just power. It's just this invisible uh, clash of power. So there's no way to argue with them anymore. Uh, we really have to learn how to win and win arguments with the people and win with the electorate. And it doesn't help. It doesn't help when people keep saying, well, this election was stolen or it's all a cheat or it's all a, you know, it's all a fraud because we have to win. We, we just have to, because these guys are out of their minds and they're not the majority. They are not the majority. They are in the minority, but mm. we don't know how to argue with them and we don't know how to fight with them. And we really don't know how to represent ourselves at all. The, um, the left-wing press is trying to excuse the dramatic change in uh, Justin Pearson <laughs> as just like, what do you mean he changed his hairstyle? Would you just calm down? Just fucking calm down. Change his hair. Like, it's been six and a half years. Uh, I, you know, he changed a little. And six. So just for kicks, I said to the team, go back and pick any random video of me six and a half years ago. Let's go look at me in 2016, which is when the early. Let's take a I don't even know what we're about to see. Let's take a look. Well, there is a fierce First Amendment debate now raging on two major college Here campuses. In a moment, we'll show you what's unfolding at Yale. Oh, wait, my hair's longer. I, I did not develop a new accent. I did not stop, stop, stop talking like this and dropping all my letters. I did not get holified suddenly uh, and start preaching to the choir out on the streets. Like, give me a break. This is not about growing his hair out. I did that too. This is about taking on a whole new persona so you can sell yourself to a clientele that you know is in the market for this particular brand of rhetoric sold in the particular kind of package Pearson's finally figured out how to give. Well, what can you say? What can you say to people who believe that if I put on a wig and a dress, I, be, I actually become a woman? And then you say, well, this guy has utterly changed his personality. That's fine with them. I mean, why why should they object? What would they right. object to? I don't know. Right. And it, yeah. it, as you say, it all works. It's all showbiz. And it and show business works if every single person is taking a picture of you and commenting, commentating on you is on your side. And that's the situation we have. Our press, our press is a guerrilla press. It's what we're doing right now. I mean, when when you they put you on a major TV show. They did everything they could to get you off as quickly as possible. 
they would never have me. I have I have a hard time uh, just getting published at this point because of my points of view. They they are doing everything they can to ensure that there are no voices contradicting them because they believe that if they have the only voice, then reality will be subject to them. That's not true, but they think it's true, and they're willing to do a lot of damage. Yeah, look, you know, Twitter. Another thing, you know, look at the the intelligence agencies shutting people down on Twitter and on Facebook. They really do believe that they can control reality. So this guy is wearing costumes. What, what's the difference to them? That's all they ever do. All they do is, is perform. They say so. Their theories say so. They say you can perform womanhood, you can perform manhood, and it becomes that real thing. So this guy is performing, but as long as he's on the right side, and as long as he's got the right identity, uh, and as long as he is increasing the power of government, they does not care. They don't mm-hmm. care one little bit. We're going to talk about the double standard. You know, as I point out, if Andrew Clavin had that one Justin Jones's criminal history, uh, he wouldn't be allowed anywhere near a state house in any in any state. Um, however, different standard for this guy. Now, same thing with respect to uh, the abortion debate. You protest outside of an abortion clinic and you're on the pro-life side. You do one wrong thing, they'll throw you away and try to lock you up without the key. However, if you're on the other side, if you are pro-choice and you go vandalize a Catholic church, very different result. And that actually just happened. We're going to talk about it when we come back with Andrew Clavin, and then we will get into what we're now learning thanks to The Daily Wire about Miss. We've become too fratty over at Bud Light uh, and what Bud Light is now reportedly saying about how that happened as its stock price dips and they lose billions of dollars. Stand by for that. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds, and stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKSeedKits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. ArcSeedKits.com. Andrew, I mentioned the double standard. We were discussing it right before the break. Um, Just one more, because my team has been sending me uh, the updates. So I read you the Salon headline. Uh, The Tennessee three were right. Screw decorum. It's time to rush the well. Here's what Salon said after the State of the Union when Marjorie Taylor Greene yelled out. On order from Trump, Republicans throw a hissy fit during Biden's State of the Union. Another one from Salon. The heckler's veto. Biden masterfully stood up to the GOP. Now what? <laughs> you know, it, it really is funny that, that these guys who hate Donald Trump so much have never actually questioned why people would vote for Donald Trump. Why, after 50, 60 years of being told that they don't count out that they stink, their religion stinks, their country stinks, their marriage stinks, everything about them stinks, why they would get go after this guy who shouts them down like Trump does. This is why. This is yeah, why. If you right. have an, it, it's so really, right. it really is bad for the country. I mean, if you look at like late night comedy shows, they are all on one side. If everybody's making jokes about one side and not the other, 
how do you expect them not to get angry? How do you expect them not to get enraged? If when right-wingers storm a Capitol building, they're hunted down uh, no matter where they are and put in prison without trial, but left-wingers do the same thing and they are uh, valorized and turned into heroes, how do you expect people to feel? How do you expect yeah. to avoid the kind of clashes uh, that are going to grow out of that anger. I don't know. It's, it's a very, it is, I think, a central, central problem in the country is the unfairness of the treatment of people. So that leads me to what's going on now um, with this particular uh, defendant. Now, let me introduce you to Maeve Nota. Maeve was arrested in the state of Washington um, after last summer, after Dobbs overturned Roe versus Wade. Maeve is a transgender man. Now, normally that means, I never know how they're using it now, but normally if you say if it's a trans man, it means it's a biological woman dressing as a man. But I think this video shows a woman. So maybe it's a man dressing. Who the hell knows, Andrew? Maeve's trans. <laughs> okay. Maeve was pissed off that Roe versus Wade was uh, overturned by Dobbs. And Maeve decided to work out that anger by going to St. Louis Catholic Church in Bellevue, Washington, uh, in June of 2022, and vandalizing the church. Uh, Maeve scrawled fuck Catholics on the church's walls, assaulted a church employee, defaced several religious statues, tossed rocks at and spray painted an employee of the church, smashed two of the church's glass doors, uh, painted women haters, kid groomers, we hate gay people, rotten hell, and F Catholics on the church's walls um, and and uh, then fought with police on top of it. OK. And oh, and by the way, scared the hell out of a little old lady praying. So that's what Maeve did. The feds swooped in and charged Maeve with a hate crime. OK, so far, so good. Yes, we see it. That's a hate crime against Catholics. Bad Maeve. Well, the news just hit. This is via The New York Post that the jail uh, that the Justice Department is recommending no jail time. For Maeve, absolutely no jail time uh, whatsoever, and will only recommend three years probation. Okay, so so that's what you get when you assault the church employee and threaten the police, tussle with the police, um, deface uh, a Catholic church. Contrast that with what they did to pro-life activist Mark Hoke, who was arrested back in September 2022 after being indicted on federal charges that he allegedly intimidated someone at Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. You may remember this case. They accused this guy, Mark, of pushing a 72-year-old man who was escorting two patients from the clinic in October 2021. Hook claimed that the elderly man had been harassing Hook's son and uh, that he was really just standing up for his kid. The Justice Department saw Hoke as a very different kind of threat. They tried to put him in prison for 11 years, 11 years, they went after this guy. They took him to trial and Hoke was acquitted by a federal jury. So he got no jail time because he was found not guilty. Look at the difference in standards, right? This Hoke faces 11 years in prison for having a tussle with a guy outside of a Planned Parenthood where he made clear to the authorities originally, I was defending my son. And by the way, they showed up like a SWAT team at his house when they arrested him. All of his kids were there. The wife talked about how they came in, guns drawn. Their family was scared. This other guy, Maeve, the trans person, actually assaults a churchgoer, never mind the cops and what they did to the church. You're fine. Probation. Off you go. Thanks, honey. 
Maeve is lucky when she was assaulting people in a Catholic church and she didn't accidentally hit an FBI agent who was trying to <laughs> infiltrate the, the church to make sure they weren't speaking Latin. You so know, true. The, the one thing I will say in, in Maeve's on Maeve's behalf is that at least he or she or whatever the hell he is uh, knows where the problem is. Uh, that that is that is the thing that is the enemy <laughs> of the federal government at this point is religion. They are they know they know that if we lose our religion, we're going to lose the argument. And we don't necessarily know that, you know, George Washington told us this a long, long time ago when he, he gave his he published his famous farewell address. He said, you know, beware of the idea that you can maintain a moral structure without religion. And he didn't mean that religion was useful because it made people afraid of hell or anything like that. What he meant was the underlying ideas of religion, namely the faith in God and the faith of a moral structure that you cannot violate, is inherent in a free country. You cannot be a free country without that faith that A, morality exists, and B, that people are made in the image of God and deserve to be respected and deserve to be free. So the, this targeting of religion and the laxity of prosecution uh, and a hate crime against religion is in keeping, again, with the left's philosophy. They are acting rationally in keeping with their philosophy. They're even acting morally in keeping with their philosophy. The fact that their philosophy is rotten to the core uh, is not the point. The point is they are acting in keeping with their philosophy. And I worry about the right because I worry that the right does not understand that they cannot make their arguments. They cannot make their arguments without some kind of religious basis, some kind of spiritual basis. And I think on the right, we're just, we keep talking about the market. The market's going to save us, go woke, go broke. Market ain't going to save us. The market will not save us because the market is underpinned by values. If you don't have the values that make a market necessary and useful, you can't have the market's just going to go away. And so I think that, you know, I think that the left is acting again very rationally in keeping with their philosophy. And part of their philosophy is that religion is a problem for them. And it is a problem for them. And if we don't support it, if we don't defend it, if we don't go use every every weapon in our uh, arsenal, including the Constitution, and maybe especially the Constitution, uh, to protect religion in public life, in the public square, the absolute uh, freedom to express religion, to worship without an FBI agent coming in and making sure you're not speaking Latin. So we're going to lose this fight. We're going to lose this fight. So I, I really do think that the left has got its house in order in terms of its philosophical coherence, and we haven't. And I think mm -hmm. that it's it's I know it's a hard it sounds like a kind of professorial argument to make, but it is a very practical political argument. We can't win if we don't know what we believe. I mean, that latest I think it was Pew poll showed only 39 percent of the American population now thinks religion is important, values it as one of their top values yeah. of religion. I mean, the, the numbers used to be way higher than that up in the 60s. There was one point where it would have been in the 90s and it's on a steady decline. You're in, that's an interesting point. Maeve chose the right target because that really is the enemy of what no, Maeve sure. stands for and what the government is pushing on us. The, you mentioned the Catholic churches and the FBI. There was new information on that this week, which was just very dark. I mean, we brought the audience the story because Chris Ray, the head of the FBI, testified before Congress and admitted this had happened, but immediately disavowed the behavior of this agent and said, this is not what the FBI is about. He said, um, I was aghast when I saw these reports that the FBI was targeting Catholics. We took steps immediately to withdraw this plan and remove it from the FBI's systems. It does not reflect our standards. So that's good. That's good. But one does have to ask why this guy thought this would be a great next step for the FBI to begin with. This this FBI agent is what happened was 
The story broke and then Congress subpoenaed the documents and FBI did not turn them over. And then the Congress got a little bit more aggressive about enforcing its subpoena and its oversight. And uh, the FBI did turn over the documents showing it had sought to develop sources inside Christian churches and Catholic dioceses as part of an effort to combat domestic terrorism. The House Judiciary Committee released these documents on Monday. They showed the FBI planned to use churches as new avenues, quoting here from a Fox News report, for tripwire and source development. Uh, they also aimed to specifically target mainline Catholic parishes. So not that it was any better when it was just the one saying the Latin mass, but just in case you think, oh, that's not me, it is you. Mainline Catholic parishes is what they wanted to target. Uh, they uh, relied on at least one other undercover agent to produce their analysis and that the FBI proposed that its agents engage in outreach to Catholic parishes to develop sources among the clergy and church leadership to inform on Americans practicing their faith. We only know about that because an FBI whistleblower produced the report and made it public. And that's sort of what, what caught us onto it. Um, their, their plan was to, quote, mitigate the threat of radical traditionalist Catholics. I think they mean you. That's you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they, again, they're quite right because uh, Catholicism is the faith on which the West was built. There is no West without uh, some basis in, in what the Catholics uh, thought and believed and taught us. Uh, even the idea of the individual is essentially a Catholic idea. The idea of the individual uh, with rights of his own is a, essentially a Catholic idea. They they know what they're doing. They're not wrong. And what I want to know about this FBI thing, it came out in Virginia, actually, the, the original paper. And now there's word that somebody was actually inside a Catholic church uh, becoming a, a an asset to the FBI. I want to know who was fired. I mean, this is not some er clerical error. This is not, oh, I, you know, I put Catholic, but I meant to say terrorists. I mean, that this is this is a guy somewhere in the FBI is someone who believed that spying on Americans worshiping Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church was a, a good thing. Was is this guy still working for the FBI? I'll bet anything he is because they know exactly what they're doing. You know, you look over in England. In England, a, a woman was arrested twice for silently praying outside an abortion clinic. I just want to emphasize that. I was silently praying. The police officer came over to her and said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm praying. But he couldn't tell because she wasn't praying out loud and she was arrested. You know, we're not that far from this. I mean, we're still protected by uh, the First Amendment. We're still protected by our traditions. But, you know, the First Amendment's only on a piece of paper. The Constitution's only a piece of paper. And if we don't understand how important this is and how it underlies everything and underpins everything, we're going to lose it. You know, I, I just can't, I cannot get it around. I cannot convince conservatives because we're so into the idea of freedom and mar and the marketplace. This has been true since I would say the 80s. We've just talked about the market, the market, the market, this Ayn Rand idea that it's all, you know, morality just grows out of individuality and it all goes out of the market. I, you know, we're so into that, that we have lost uh, we have lost track of the fact that, no, these ideas grew up over thousands of years uh, built on Catholic teaching and then mm -hmm. Protestant teaching after that. And so we let that go. We let go of everything. And that is what's happening in England, where the churches are are empty. It will happen here if our churches empty out. And I, I don't think, you know, I, 
I, I think Christianity is being poorly taught. I think it's being, you know, I think people come out of church, they look grim and tight and they're angry at everybody. Uh, for me, Christianity is the source of insane amount of joy. And then once we start teaching that again, which is, I think, the basic idea of Christianity, I think maybe it'll become a little bit more popular. But I, I really do, Megan, I, I don't know. I think that we do not know what we're talking about. And the left does. They understand what they believe no, they're in. Clever. And we don't. They're, they're you smart. Know, just to pivot, there's there's a lot. I, I will say just one quick point. Um, it does depend on the church you go to, right? Like I go home and I visit my mom and my where I grew up, and I got to tell you, the church service there is kind of depressing, kind of dour. It's dark, and the music choices are kind of sad. And uh, you know, my mom's had a rough year, so I'm like, mom, this is not the mass for you. You know, like we, we need we need to find back at home. I love the fact that we're it's it's bright, it's airy, it's a happy hour. You know, we see friends, we 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 love Frank who sings, we love the father, Father Richard who keeps it joyful. You leave uplifted and the kids like it too. I mean, even my kids. It's not like they're like, "Yes, how soon can we go to mass?" But they get out of bed and they go willingly and they enjoy it and we have a nice So if you're having the sad feeling or like the mass is not good for you, reconsider. Like try another church cuz you might just not be at the right place. Um but you mentioned the left is good at this. And one of the things that jumped out at me today as I was looking at the, at the polls in the political arena, Andrew, was, yeah, the left is good at this. Because look at this. Listen to this. So, so since they indicted Trump and his arraignment last week by Alvin Bragg in, in Manhattan, his support with primary voters has gone through the roof, through the roof. Uh, the latest Reuters Ipsos poll shows Trump at 58, DeSantis at 21. Uh, and that, that means Trump's up 10 from just a week earlier. He was already crushing, but he's crushing by even more now. Um, Yahoo, YouGov, Trump's at 57. Ron DeSantis is at 31. Um, he did have just an eight point lead. And now that's up to, well, you do the math, but it's 25, almost 30 points. Um, ABC Ipsos, however, adds this piece of it. Trump's unfavorability is climbing by the day from 55 to 61 percent. That's with the general electorate, Andrew. And all I could think was, irrespective of how you feel about Trump, whether you like him or you don't, this is right in line with the Democrats plan. Drive his numbers up with the primary voters. They love everything I just said. They think Trump's the most beatable. They want to run against him. His numbers are going up with the GOP base while they're going down with the general electorate. And, you know, Bob's your uncle. Boom. Biden 2.0. It's it's you know it's human nature and math. We know that they want to run against Trump because they literally donate money to candidates that Trump picks. The kind of Trumpian candidates, Democrats actually fund those candidates in the hopes that they will win the primary and lose the election. And that is exactly what's going to happen here. And the other part of it, the human nature part of it is they make us angry. They make us angry by the unfairness that you were talking about before, the double standard. They make us angry by indicting Donald Trump on a nonsense charge. Uh, they make us angry in the way they talk about us as deplorable and all this stuff. And think about your personal life. When you lose your temper, we all lose our temper sometime. Do any of us ever look back and say, boy, when I really got angry that time, I acted great. I really did the right thing. No, when you get angry, you do stupid stuff. And you know, I always tell people anger is the devil's cocaine because it feels like righteousness, but it's not. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but even righteous anger is not righteousness. It is just a, a natural reaction to evil. It is maybe natural to feel angry 
after this indictment in New York, for instance, which was a travesty and a travesty of justice, it, it, it's natural to feel angry, but it makes you stupid. The thing about Donald Trump is he cannot win the general election. He barely won the first general election and only because we have this great electoral college in place, but he didn't win the majority. He lost the, la the, the next election. I know people tell themselves it's like a security blanket. They tell themselves it was all stolen away. Now he lost the election. He lost it to a doddering old man who hid in the basement. He's lost every, he lost the midterm election while he was president. He helped lose the midterm election after he was president. He lost Georgia because of his behavior so that we lost the majority in the Senate. He does not do well as a politician. People keep saying the thing I like about Trump is he's not a politician. Yeah, I understand that. But politics is a business. It's a profession. And if you don't know how to do it, you lose. So I get why Trump is popular. There are moments when I love Donald Trump. When he goes after the press, he makes me laugh out loud. I mean, it's, there's things that he does. And, and a lot of his ideas are far better than the left's ideas. He can't win. So it doesn't matter. He can win the, the primary. He probably will win the primaries as things are set up right now. But he cannot win the general election because he has alienated the independents. And the independents decide elections in this country. They he do. cannot win that middle ground. And he can't win it because of his behavior. And his behavior has cost him everything he's had. You know, he lost the Obama, the repeal of Obamacare because of the way he treated John McCain. He's lost his friends because of the way he treated them. People he had on his staff, nobody speaks well of him on his staff because of the way he treated them. These things matter. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I understand why people like him. I, I like him, too. I voted for him twice. I was the first person at the Daily Wire who said, I'm going to vote for this guy. He's all we got. I, you know, I, I would vote for him again if I had to. I'm not a never Trumper. He can't win. And I think that it, we've got to get a little bit smarter. A lot of this is just, I mean, it's kind of the theme of what we've been talking about, Megan. A lot of it is about being smart and making yeah. sense. And the left is smart. And it doesn't they do sound make like sense the GOP. According to their underlying principles. <laughs> yeah. The GOP is, yeah. they don't, yeah. they're not that smart in in terms of their, their political maneuvering. I will say, I do know a lot of former Trump stupid. staffers who love Donald Trump and have lovely things to say about him. People like Rick Grinnell, who's an honest broker. Uh, but I could go on in, in that mm -hmm. list. I obviously didn't work out with a lot, a lot, you know, people like uh, Bill Barr, it comes to mind. Um, wait, okay. So now I wanted to get to Dylan Mulvaney. All right. Because we only have a short time left and I've got to cover this with you. Dylan Mulvaney uh, was on the cover, was on a Bud Light can, like a commemorative six pack that was mailed to Dylan. There was a brand partnership. They, Bud Light used Dylan to promote Bud Light and all hell broke loose. They've lost some $7 billion in market capitalization. Talk with Eric Bowling about that at the top of the show. Sales are plummeting according to what we read. And the core base is mad. They're mad at Bud Light. They don't, they don't appreciate this partnership. Now Daily Wire reached out to, they say, two sources um, within Bud Light we're in a position to know. And they say to the Daily Wire, no one at a senior level was aware of this partnership. <laughs> no one at a senior level. Now, the person who we thought approved it is the VP of marketing, Alyssa Heinerscheid. And if Alyssa did not specifically approve this ad, shame on her. It's still her problem. It's her department. She allowed it. And she was on the air three days before the campaign hit, talking about how we've gotten too fratty and we need to be more inclusive. And look at this Super Bowl ad I did, which is about a male actor, but it was told through the his, through his wife's eyes. She was the heart and soul. This is obviously an identity politics Harvard grad who's all about, you know, color, gender, sexual orientation, all the stuff. So whatever. She's not off the hook, but I'm sure it was her anyway. We'll find out. In any event, they're describing it as a low-level marketing staffer who made the call. Um, 
again, wanting to be more inclusive. And now they're saying that Bud Light is halting all marketing efforts to reevaluate the brand's ad strategies because <laughs> your first effort wound up in the toilet and they, that they will in the future evaluate all partnerships more robustly. Here's my question for you. Some people are pushing back on people like you, like people like me and maybe you uh, who are ticked off about this Dylan Mulvaney partnership with Bud Light. I'm ticked off about Bud Light, but I'm even more ticked off about Oil of Olay and Nike on the sports bras, you know, spaces that are absolutely women's spaces. Um, But all of it bothers me, to be honest. And you have people um, like Joe Rogan, Howard Stern came out and said, like, what's the big deal? Why are why are people mad about this? About so do you want to take a shot at that? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, this, this also goes very deep into philosophy, but let's not start there. Let's start at the top. If you watch the Dylan Mulvaney ad for Bud Light, he comes on and he says, oh, I don't know anything about sports and I don't know what's going on. You know, it must be some kind of game. I don't know. Now, my wife is one of the most feminine people I know. She doesn't know anything about sports. She doesn't talk anything like that because she's a grown-up lady who just happens to have ladies' interests. In the same way, I don't talk like Moose McCoy because I happen to have male interests. You know, that's not the way women behave. He is not being a woman. He is doing a woman. He is at everything about what he is doing is a show and a performance. And it's a, it's a conscious performance. He is not a woman. He is pretending to be a woman consciously and openly. So that means that it is, it is, is if I did this, it's as if I smeared my face with blackface, did an Amos and Andy voice, not a real, you know, anything that sounded like a real black adult male, but did an Amos and Andy, you know, cliched, old-fashioned, racist black voice and tried to sell some product, some kind of hair thing or whatever that was for black people. I mean, Joe Rogan would not be saying, so what? They're just trying to expand their base. They're just trying to reach out to different people. He would understand that this is a deeply disrespectful and in that case, racist idea. This is worse. And it's worse because of this. White men and black men are not that different. Uh, they're basically the same. I mean, the color of their skin is different. Maybe some of the culture is different, but basically as, as human beings, they're basically the same. Men and women are different. Women and men have different uh, interests. They have different experiences of life. And I'd say they have different magisterium. They have different uh, things that they are good at and in control of and want to do. To say that a man is a woman is to take away a person's identity from the ground up. It is to strip her of who she is and what she goes through. It is so disrespectful and so hateful that it doesn't matter. I don't think Bud Light is hateful. I think the philosophy that they are joining in with is hateful and it's stupid. And again, you know, I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but this philosophy goes very deep. It is an anti-human philosophy. It is the philosophy that everything about us is a performance. Our gender is a performance. Even what our bodies desire is a performance. So you have people saying that if you are a man and you prefer vaginas to penises, that already is bigotry. That's anti-trans bigotry. But that, that, of course, is inherent in our nature. The idea that you can just strip somebody of his nature by pretending to be him is, I, I, is so basically uh, dehumanizing that and hateful that I think it deserves everything it gets. And I hope Anheuser-Busch is forced out of business. I, I don't. I, it's not enough for me that their stock goes down. I don't care about their stock. I want them to be unable to sell a beer in any state in this country, not because of the law, but because people still, simply will not buy it for the hateful thing they did. And as you say, 
the idea that Dylan Mulvaney should be representing female products is is twice as wicked, twice as hateful. But unfortunately, because women are women and they don't, they don't stand up like men do. Men get angry right. when you do this stuff and, and they strike back and women should strike back too. It's so true. I, I, you raised a lot of good points. I've been thinking about it. If they, if they, if Bud Light had used Caitlyn Jenner, would I be having the same reaction? And I, I admit I would not be. Caitlyn Jenner is a trans woman. Caitlyn Jenner doesn't run around trying to say trans women are women, trans women are women. No. Caitlyn Jenner understands there are differences and that trans women should not be competing against women in women's sports and so on. I don't think Caitlyn Jenner would think it's appropriate for Caitlyn to be modeling oil of Olay or a sports bra company. Uh, I feel like Caitlyn Jenner is a genuinely dysphoric person who had this from a very, very young age as the genuinely dysphoric did and finally found the courage to transition late in life and hasn't been obnoxious, you know, trying to like take brand sponsorships and trying to parody just the most ridiculous idea of women since Caitlyn transitioned. Dylan Mulvaney is a different story. Dylan Mulvaney infantilizes us. Dylan parodies us. Dylan demeans us. Dylan dresses like a little girl and prances around fake hotel rooms, throwing her legs up in the air as though this is what a woman is. Like, give me a break. You, you know, you can, I'm no Hillary Clinton fan, but Hillary Clinton is a lawyer and a senator and a presidential candidate. And it's not bad to have people looking at that and understanding that's what a woman is. Nikki Haley is another one that comes to mind. You know, you look at these strong athletes who go out there and leave nothing on the field. and They emerge sweaty and strong and unapologetic for having given their that's a woman. OK, that this Dylan character is humiliating womankind and people who like the woman at Bud Light who allowed this are buying into it. They're promoting it. So it needs to stop. So I don't like I'm kind of offended that they don't get it. Like, let me try to explain it. I realize that they're guys, but walk a mile in our shoes because we've tried really hard to find better examples to little girls. This is one of the reasons why I can't stand the fucking Kardashians. Sorry, but they're not good for little girls either. And we've been speaking out about them. Dylan Mulvaney's in the same camp. That's not a woman. That's not what womanhood is. And it should stop being promoted as though it is. See, this is why, this is exactly why I, I focus on ideas. This has nothing to do with transgender persons. Even Dylan Mulvaney, he can live any way he wants. And, and you know, that, that is absolutely fine. But to say that a person changes his clothes and thereby changes his sex, or if you want to make this made up word now, gender, which is somehow uh, uh, detached from sex, that idea is offensive. It's offensive to the reality of human existence. Yes. And, and that means it's offensive to real persons. And, and the thing is, you know, for me to say that, uh, you know, somebody dressing up is uh, weird, it is weird. It's strange. It is strange. But I just don't care. And, and I can respect somebody who's in the kind of pain that it would take to make you actually have an operation on your body to try and change, make believe you've changed your gender. You've got to be in a lot of yeah. pain before yeah. you do that. But still, it's the overall idea that you represent. And if you do that with respect, if you say, well, look, I'm not a woman, but I had to do this to feel comfortable with myself 
it's none of my business. It really isn't. But if you say, no, now I have become a woman and I have, can usurp all the functions and the representations of women, women who have been born and gone through, uh, you know, if getting their periods and maybe had babies and done all the things that women do and have had the experiences with men that women have. And I, and I don't want to just talk about it as victimhood and the beauty of woman, womanhood, the absolute centrality of the, of the feminine experience in human life, that you are just going to erase that because you're unhappy with the way you were born. No, that is not the thing. The idea is wrong. And to put Dylan Mulvaney or any, to me, any trans person as a representative of women uh, is making a different statement than I'm unhappy and I have to live this way. Uh, those are two different statements. What, you're, what you do personally and what happens at scale are two different things. And That's again, right. we're, we're not very good at talking about this because what the left always does is they bring out an individual example of something and they say, here is an example. You know, if I, if I come on and say, well, men are stronger than women, they bring on some gigantic woman who's stronger than an old <laughs> guy like me, you know, and that's supposed to prove something. But my, but my generality still uh, remains the same. There are only two kinds of people. There are men and women, and there's no such thing as a human being. There's only a man or a woman. And that that's the thing. You know, and what they do, they say, oh, some people are born intersex. Yes, vanishing number of people uh, are born intersex. But if a person is born with one leg, man is still a two-legged creature. And if someone is born intersex, man is still a, a by There are two sexes uh, in manhood, in human humanity. They have completely befuddled us because they own the press. They have completely befuddled us with their ideas and we don't strike back with ideas. And that's why that's why it winds up sounding like, you know, I hate Dylan Mulvaney. I don't give a rat's about Dylan Mulvaney. The way he lives doesn't mean a thing to me. But when he goes forward and he says, oh, I'm a girl now and I'm going to sell girls products or I'm a girl and I'm going to portray what women are like as I sell Bud Light, we should never buy anything by Anheuser-Busch. As far as I'm concerned, I'd shoot their horses at this point uh, just uh, to protest the, the way they behave and the way they've treated women. All right. I uh, wouldn't shoot their horses, but I'm, you no, know what I'm we saying. Were, don't touch the horses, but yeah, shoot the beer cans <laughs> and not buy it. Uh, not, I mean, I, I'm not a beer drinker, but if I had any Bud Light in this house, it would absolutely have been dumped by now. Nike, I'm, I've been over for a long time. Uh, and Oil of LA, screw them too. You couldn't find an actual woman who's aging who might actually like the the gig. Like, why wouldn't you go to like a Paulina Portskova, who's this gorgeous supermodel who's aging naturally. She's not getting her face filled with poison every week. She's going gray. She'd be a great person. How about her? An actual woman who's aging as opposed to a 28-year-old man for a woman's aging product. It's just, okay. All right. Now we're getting ourselves back wound up. Andrew Clavin, it fe I feel like it was too long. I feel like we need to make the window shorter before you come back because I always learn when I talk to you. Thank you for being here. I always love talking to you, Megan. Thanks a lot. All right. See you again soon, I hope. When we come back, a story about a brave doctor speaking out about these ridiculous implicit bias sessions and other diversity pushes that are making medicine much more problematic. Joining me now, a doctor who is speaking out about the new race essentialism push in medicine. Dr. Marilyn Singleton is a black physician who has so much to say about the obsessive focus on so-called DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that we're seeing more and more in our culture. Marilyn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So it's glad, one thing glad to, to be here. Oh, well, thank you. So it's one thing to see this push in like I don't know, education, that's problematic enough. Um, but it's quite another to see DEI take over medicine. And I know this is happening just from my own doctor friends who have complained about the changing of standards, 
when it comes to who gets selected for residencies or elevated to chief resident, um, right down to how they interact with patients and how I mentioned this yesterday, you're not supposed to offend a patient by asking what gender they are. What's <laughs> up? Relevant information. But you've been living it firsthand as, and I should tell the audience a bit about your background, graduated from Stanford, went on to UCSF Medical School, two years of surgery at UCSF, then anesthesia residency at Harvard's Beth Israel, um, went on to Cedars-Sinai Medical. You were a professor at Johns Hopkins. Then while still working in medicine, you went to Berkeley Law School, focusing on con law and ad- administrative law. So that's also impressive. But you've been noticing in California, where you've been licensed since 1974, this is creeping in and in a really weird, pervasive, problematic way. Tell us. Okay, this whole thing, there is no question that minorities have been wronged in the past. Certainly slavery is heinous, dreadful, awful. That's done. We know it. But we're now talking about having people go through what I equate to struggle sessions like the Maoists in China did, where in front of your friends and coworkers, you have to confess that you're a racist. And even though you haven't done anything, that it's implicit in just being a white person or a non-underrepresented minority, because mind you, Asians are minorities, but they're not underrepresented minorities. So they even had to come up with a new term for Blacks, Hispanics, and Indigenous people. Those are the BIPOCs. And it's it's absurd. When, I, when I'm saying it, I, I feel like I sound stupid even saying these words. <laughs> who, who is a BIPOC? Right. I, and then this is what they're calling little children and grownups who are of other races that are minoritized. So we're not even minorities anymore. We're minoritized, meaning we're powerless. Well, all of this is such bunk and the wrong thing to be teaching young people as well as adults. And certainly all this has to start when we're young. That's another story. But going to medicine, it is damaging to the students who really wonder have I been accepted to medical school because I'm bright, because I'm smart, because they like what I have to offer? Or am I being accepted because they need another colored person who they can add to their statistics? And sadly, that's how a lot of these young folks think. And when affirmative action first came out, this is one of the first things a lot of folks wondered. Am I smart? How do people really look at me? Are they going to think that I'm the dumb doctor? Will I get as many patients as the white doctor? And on and on. So that's one aspect. There's a, a very damaging psychological aspect. There's a damaging aspect to the collegiality among doctors of color and white doctors. People have been consulting back and forth for years with nary a thought of what race the doctor was. It's like, did you have the expertise that I don't have? And I'm going to ask you a question and vice versa. Patients have been requesting doctors of all races and colors because they heard that person was good. So they go to that doctor. And now suddenly they're talking about black patients need to have a black doctor. 
Could you imagine if the tables were turned and everybody said white patients needed to have a white doctor? It's the most absurd thing I've ever heard of. Not to mention you could never do it. There wouldn't be enough black doctors to treat all the black patients. And everybody I know, and admittedly, I worked in a hospital in West Hollywood and a nice part of town, but the black doctors I knew wanted to work at nice hospitals. It's just not assumed because you're black that you wanna go work in an underprivileged hospital. Yes, some do, but there's plenty of white doctors that work there too. So some of the concepts that all of this is built on are just plain wrong and it's divisive. It's not good for patients. Patients aren't thinking along those lines. I'm sure every now and then there's going to be some butthead who is a butthead no matter (laughs) what, who says something that has a racist undertone or whatever. That's always going to happen. I don't care whether you're in medicine or anything else. And there's always going to be those people. There's always going to be sexist people and drunks who come in and say they don't want some C word taking care of them and all that. And you say, eh, you know, screw you. I'm a good doctor. This is who you get. And somehow they shut up right quick. Mm-hmm. So it angers me because I grew up when there wasn't fair housing in California. and Even though my father had a good occupation and we could afford it, we couldn't live where we wanted to live. And so I see how things had improved, improved, improved. And then suddenly it was like falling off a cliff when they started all this focus on race. And it took Black people away from moving ahead on our own power. We didn't need the caring white liberal to get us ahead. We had our own power. And this is this is becoming a problem because it's sapping Black doctors of their ego and of their sense of pride in themselves. And how can somebody who is a successful cardiac surgeon suddenly be an oppressed victim? Well, they aren't. And it's all a narrative designed to move our society in a different direction. And now how does it change the dynamic between white doctors and black doctors in the hospital or other settings? Right. Because now it's like you're wondering, are, as the white person, I'm thinking like, am I, does she see me as the oppressor? Does she think I'm a racist? Because the California is telling her in these continuing legal education courses every year that I've got some implicit bias that's in there. I'm out to get her. I just think it, it creates this underlying dynamic of distrust. Well, and it does, and it shouldn't. The, the thing is that the only thing that makes me hopeful about the whole thing is that most people are kind of normal and they know this is bullshit. They yeah. they've had friends for years and interacted with folks for years and know who's good and who has the personality and who's the gynecologist to the stars who happens to be a black guy and uh, they didn't pick him because he was black. They picked him because he had a great personality and was a good surgeon. All this sort of stuff. This is how real people are. And it's 
it's a veneer. It's it's something. And your last guest was talking about this transgender stuff being a performance. And that's what a lot of this racial stuff is. People are out there playing games, but they're playing games with people's lives. But for the most part, yes, it is going to breed distrust. And it's going to be the younger folk who don't know any better. The older guys, I'd say anybody late 40s plus, they know the score. They mm -hmm. know that a good doctor can come in any skin color and they're not going to judge people by their well, color. Do you, and they haven't before. Do you see, um, you know, at, at the college level, certainly they're throwing out the SAT, they're throwing out standardized testing because they want to make sure that they can make sure they have enough BIPOC in the incoming class if the Supreme Court outrules or outlaws the use of race at all. And um, some say, OK, fine. So we're, we're going to have a very diverse looking college class no matter what. When you make race the number one thing and you don't look at scores in medicine, I mean, that is scary to a lot of people. Like I, I for one, want my pilots and my doctors chosen 100 percent on merit, you know, like that. We're talking about human lives. So what do you make of that? They're already talking about getting rid of the MCATs, which is like the SATs but the, for medicine and going past fail. One can argue, and it is argued, that there's other factors that make a good doctor other than being really good at science or knowing all your physics equations and all that. And I grant you that. I didn't major in science, and I turned out to be a good doctor and got into good residencies and finished them. I think what's disturbing is you don't want patients to think you're not a good doctor because of the color of your skin. I had a older friend, an ENT doctor, whose father had to go in for prostate surgery. Now, mind you, his father's daughter, his, the, my friend's sister, had her appendix out, and the surgeon who operated on her was black, and the father had picked out this surgeon. And when he went in for his prostate surgery, the anesthesiologist was black, and the first thing he asked him was, how old are you? Did you go to school before affirmative action? This is mm -hmm. what you don't want. And he was kind of old and getting senile, but it was like the truth was coming out that people thinking that if you're post affirmative action, that you're not as good as the other guy. You mm -hmm. may well be. We don't know, but you don't want patients to think that. And you don't want to have people who aren't qualified. Now, st studies have come out and they said more minority residents aren't completing the residency. And it's likely because they were chosen for the residency because of their color and not because of their skills. They weren't kicked out because the people who are the head of the residency are racist. If, if they didn't come up to a certain standard, then they're not going to finish the residency. And what you mentioned, the idea of changing the standards, that is where we have to draw the line. Merit is still merit. And frankly, I think in more professions than just pilots and doctors, yeah. you want people I want my to firemen. be good at it. <laughs> I want my firemen just chosen on strength and courage <laughs> and all the other things too. Can I ask you before we go? So I know that this is something on your radar as well, but I 
I've been asked, so what do you think is the answer? You know, what do you think is the answer to sort of educating our kids? And, and I've said, instead of talking about endlessly, endlessly, of course, we teach slavery, we teach Jim Crow, but instead of endlessly highlighting the terrible plight of African-Americans in America, why don't we start highlighting the amazing accomplishments of really strong, smart black people and holding them up instead of putting them down so that these little kids just say, oh my God, what, like all my people had this terrible history. What does that mean for me? As opposed to, Look at these amazing people. And I know this is this is near and dear to your own heart. Well, absolutely. I think one of the first uh, op eds I ever wrote was about the first black doctor who was a slave in the 1700s. And his master made him a nurse and taught him how to be a doctor. And then he ended up having a wonderful practice with patients of all colors. So when kids hear this, I think we didn't think people who were slaves could ever do anything. And some people didn't realize that 10% of Black people in America were never slaves. So there's so much history, but it's hidden. Booker T. Washington had said now that we're talking all the way back in 1900. He said there's a certain class of colored people who want to keep grievances in the forefront or else they'll lose their job. This is 1900. I'd say 120 years later, we've got those same people who want to mm -hmm. keep the grievances up in the forefront rather than focus on progress and strength. How do you how do you think it's going to go? Do you, do you see any reason to hope people are starting to see the light on this craziness? I think they are. You know, that that silly expression, jumping the shark. I think they've gone too far. And I hope I'm not just being a Pollyanna about it because all these years I've seen, seen things improve so much. I hate to see them devolve. And when you talk to people offline, they know it's hokum, but people have to feel like they've got to say, oh, yes, you know, we're systemically racist and do this and do that. They're just saying it. It's all for show in their hearts. They know that people are people and jerks will be jerks and good guys will be good guys. You speaking out so forcefully will help them. You know, I mean, part of it is just someone seeing the example and realizing, oh, you know, I, there is another way of thinking about this. And I am not the only one thinking that way. Marilyn, thank you so much. Please come back. I want to I want to have you back on medicine, on law, on all of this BS. Uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you. It's great to meet you. Thanks. And I'd be happy to come back. All right. It's done. It's happening. All the best to you. And thanks to all of you for watching and listening today. Uh, tomorrow, I want to tell you that we have the activist Posey Parker on for the very first time. A lot of you have been asking for us to get her. Uh, she's speaking out in defense of women and we got her. That's tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss this. We will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about.
Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.